The Empire Strikes Back is one of the most celebrated sequels of all time. It introduces new characters and greatly expands on the fan favourites of the original film. Maybe we've got some hot takes, maybe we don't. Only one way to find out. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Hello everybody. No greeting citizens? No, I feel like I t- tried to drop that before and then brought it back, but I don't want to, I don't know. I'm inconsistent. Okay. Okay. Maybe you maybe you'll bring back the yum yum at the end of the the episode. <laughs> yum yum. <laughs> Look forward to that return. No one yes, anybody welcome. remembers what that's from anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. This is a science fiction podcast. We get together and we talk about a movie. It's quite that simple. And on this episode, to sort of basically act as a season finale to our number two season, uh, we did Cube 2, we did the second Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, we did the second... Uh, I forget whatever ones we did now, but we did a whole bunch of sequels that were all the second films. And we're capping that all off with perhaps the biggest one of all time, which is The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, we did the original Star Wars late last year, maybe? Or was it earlier this year? I can't remember. But, uh, I don't know how time works anymore. I don't know. A little it bit was a ago. long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <sighs> I'm not... But you, you, don't, you don't hate it. Come on. I, I just... Low hanging fruit is the phrase that that comes to mind. But look how happy it made me. <laughs> it made you happy. It didn't make me happy. I know you like it. Shut up. Anyway, we'll start spoiler free just in case anyone is is not one spoilers for Empire Strikes Back. Although I suspect that if you're watching a science fiction movie podcast, there's a very very good chance that you know everything that happens in this movie. But we have a format. We'll stick to it regardless and we'll give you warning before we get to the spoilers but uh, obviously as a sequel meaning there'll probably be casual spoilers for the previous film again most of you probably won't care because you all know star wars but worth the, you know stick to the format in you, case any of you are six years old you know if you're, if you're new <laughs> you, yeah whatever anyway so we'll get into it uh, we're bo- both very positive on star wars we both actually said it was our favorite of the of the trilogy Mm-hmm. Uh, which is in the minority. Most people prefer Empire. Empire is often heralded as one of the best films ever made. It's often heralded as one of the best sequels ever made. And, you know, there's an entire film magazine in the UK that's called Empire, which is named after Empire Strikes Back. The whole thing. I mean, all those things can still be true with Star Wars being our favorite. They could still be one of the best sequels ever made. It could still be one of the best movies ever made. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm just trying to, you know, put in perspective though the the pedestal of which Empire Strikes Back is is typically put mm-hmm. upon. So we'll 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 get to everything as we do. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, first film they destroyed the Death Star. Uh, you know, the rebellion was happy, and as the title would imply, uh, Darth Vader and his buddies are <laughs> are coming are coming for the rebellion uh and thus starts the empire strikes back 
I'm simplifying it a bit, but that's the, that's the gist of it. It's also the movie, of course, that's going to introduce Yoda, it'll introduce Lando, it'll introduce a few other concepts that are in Star Wars, and we'll get into all that stuff and uh, break down what we like, what we don't like, so on, so on. So, uh, without further ado, though, we'll start off how we always do. Tara, how did you feel once again watching The Empire Strikes Back? I love it. I think it's an incredible sequel and definitely lives up to the hype. I mean, obviously I love the first one a little bit more, but I tend to always like the first movies more because sequels are really hard to do. But this is one of those examples. It's why it's probably famous also is that it's, I mean, it takes what was done in the first film and it, it continues on with the story and it's not the same story. There's some similar beats, but it is some, it expands on that world and on the characters you already like. Um, and there's more Muppets involved in Frank Oz, so that's always going to be a plus. Um, I still think that the first hour is my favorite. That didn't change, but, you know, with the, uh, the new planets that you get to see and the new characters are all really strong and there's some relationships brewing and that's always fun to see. There's a dynamic, plus it, like, even from the opening crawl, it it's much darker. You know, it, it is a, a more, I don't know if mature is the right word, but, like, it tells you that things are not okay because they defeated the Death Star at the end of the last film. Like, we are still in trouble, and, and I like that setup. Anyway, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I I mean, obviously it's a good movie. I'm not going to try and pretend that I'm coming in here with, like, a super hot take. But I think there's some <laughs> minor hot takes that, that might come out as, as I talk about this. Uh, it, like... I, I, you know, obviously, I love how it's mostly made. I love the the miniatures, the practical effects. I love the the space stuff. I love, you know, all, all all that juicy stuff. There's some good fight scenes. There's some nice build up to some showdowns that have kind of been brewing since the first one, and all that. And like you say, there's some relationship brewing between some of the characters. And my favorite thing about Star Wars was always the characters and their interactions. Which is actually why I prefer the first one, because I think this one suffers a little bit for me, because it splits them up. Now, admittedly, it's only really Luke who's separated, and that's why I think when I watch this, I like I greatly prefer uh, the Han and Leia on the Millennium Falcon story than I do Luke's story, because they have the, the bouncing off each other, they have the back and forth. And I'm going to hit you with a little bit of a hot take here. Dagobah and Yoda stuff? Eh, that's, it's okay. I can take it or leave it. Eh. There's, there's, one, there's one good bit in it, admittedly, but for the most part, it kind of feels like a weird, uh, like, I don't know. It, it feels like it's set up to, like, to, to do a certain thing for the character, but the, the amount of time that... Like, when I watch the movie, I always feel like the Dagobah stuff, like feels like it's on a different sort of timeline than the the millennium falcon stuff it feels like it's lasting over a much longer stretch of time but then when the stories intersect again it's very clear that no no this has literally been the exact same amount of time in both stories and it's just i don't know it feels a bit weird to me because of that but uh that, that's that's my may hang up is that i i'm not necessarily that into luke going to dagobah i don't you know worship the altar of yoda like lots of star wars nerds do like He's okay, but I, like, you know, uh, he may be my least favorite part of this movie. I am going to have to hard disagree, 
I also, you know, I understand that it, you know, things are different because everyone's separate, separated. Um, so the dynamic is not quite as there, but the whole time that, um, Luke is going through his thing, he doesn't forget about his friends. And that's like, it's main, it's his main motivation for, you know, stuff that happens at the, at the last act of the film. And he's, he's constantly reminding us that, you know, this is what's important to him. And the movie like opens with it as well as them all taking care of each other. And uh, the Han and Leia stuff, I surprisingly still like, even though it does the thing that I kind of hate. I sort of hate the eighties, like Sam and Diane <laughs> dynamic that happens in a lot of movies. And Harrison Ford seems to be at the forefront of a lot of like, what if we hate each other because of like sexual tension and I'm just like, not, I don't, I don't think those are real relationships, like at least not healthy ones, <laughs> but I do find that it works surprisingly well still for me in this. And I think it's because there's still a playfulness involved. I don't, I don't know if I went into a bit of a spoiler there, but. No, I, I, I think it works. I, I, I think even when he's been at his most pushy, there's always this kind of, he's just trying to get her to admit that she feels something. Um, and that's kind of like a running thing throughout the movie um and, and there I, are a I, lot of sweet moments with them though too and, and for the record no i agree i like look caring about his friends like honestly the best part of the movie in a lot of ways is the fact that they all sort of look out for each other at certain points um and that's like right there from the start of the movie but it doesn't really change that i don't really care about yoda training i don't care about yoda doing handstands and running around with yoda on his back um i find yoda's yeah, i don't know when i was a kid though that was like the best part I find Yoda's speech partners to be kind of annoying. I don't find it endearing. Um, you know, there's one good sequence on Dagobah, which I'll get into in spoilers, but it's kind of a dark foreshadowing scene. And, it, like, you know, I think that's got some value in it for where the movie goes. But, yeah, I don't think... It, actually, I, I, there is a second thing that I'm not super fond of. And it's admittedly, though, this is less... This is less of a critique of this movie and more the fan base... <laughs> in the decades following the movie is that Boba Fett is a throwaway character and that's all he is. He's not that cool. And because, like, the fan base of Star Wars, like, obsess over this guy, and I know he's got a show now, but for a long time he didn't. For a long time, all he had was his few scenes in this and then a couple of scenes in Jedi. And well, there's so yeah. many toys and models. And I'm like, uh, well, that's uh, that's why he's a popular character was because the action figures came out and everyone's like what is this boba fett he's a bounty hunter and he is such an iconic outfit and that is why he became popular and then when the movie came out everyone's like oh he's kind of a nothing character but we all like the action figure and, and he gets more of a role in the second or in the third one but like hardly but uh, not really i don't want to spoil it but you know, I'll have thoughts on his part in the, the third movie. <laughs> I mean, I've always agreed that I don't understand the hype of Boba Fett, but I wasn't around when the toys were. So, <laughs> and that's what I've heard always um, from the fan base that were a little bit older. The ones that, you know, went in the theaters and saw Star Wars when it came out. And they're just like, we can't wait to see this Boba Fett character. It's something that I try not to when i'm watching a movie i try not to like my opinion like my opinion of something outside the movie influence something in it which is not really the movie's fault but this yeah. is a case where the the star wars fandom and the, the love for boba fett is so <laughs> potent 
and like i've had debates with people <laughs> about boba fett that it just as soon as he's on the screen in this movie i'm just like oh, here's this chump oh here we go i know that's why and they make him such a huge part of uh or at least like Django fett right like they they shove him into the prequels also in this major yeah. way where you're just like you're just doing it because people love it and i i hear he's back in like the animated shows as well and I, obviously he has the book of boba buffett show which i haven't watched because i've been kind of checked out on the star wars shows for a little yeah, while yeah yeah actually on that subject like you brought up the the prequels there slightly uh i think something we'll talk about a little bit is there's one or two things brought up in this that obviously they expand upon the prequels and then there's one or two things that it feels like they kind of retcon with the prequels. Like, I was noticing that. There was a line in here. I'll just put it up. That, that may happen a lot, actually. <laughs> but, yeah, there was a line in here where Ghost Ben, right? Yes, this is an early part. sets up the whole plot where Luke's going to go. But he says that Yoda's the Jedi that trained him, that instructed him. And then all I had in my head was flashbacks of Phantom Menace. And I'm like, but... Yeah, Liam Neeson. The 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 taken guy. He was the one who was training you. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, Yoda was just part of the council of Jedi or whatever. Jedi Council. So, you know, I I I know obviously there's probably a lot, but that that felt like a pretty big thing to me for 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 not to line up. It's not not Obi-Wan was like lying all the time about it's, it's not quite the same, but it made me think of in Terminator Salvation when the character says, oh, it's too dangerous to move about at night. We have to go to th- during the day. And I'm like, wait a minute. Terminator 1 said the exact opposite. Kyle said that because daytime is so easy to spot you, you have to move at night. <laughs> and I'm like, you've just completely done a 50, like a, a, a 180 here. You've just completely swapped it. Um, well, the timelines so. are different. Oh, don't get me that. Don't get me that. I'm not, we're not getting into it. We're not getting into it, right? We're not, don't, don't, don't make me debate Terminator because I actually care about Terminator lore. <laughs> Star Wars lore, on the other hand, I like the characters. The lore and the mystique of like, you know, what the Jedi were before, like I'm happy mm-hmm. with that just being a bit of mystery and just being a backstory. Honestly, it's, it's the reason I hate the episode three so much. Like I think mm. it's the worst in the prequels because I... It just it try it tries to tie things together and it's so messy canonically that I find it not just unsatisfying but like how how dare you guys think I'm an idiot like like, it, like I don't love these movies and I don't know what what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think I would sum up by saying episode three feels more like an exercise of like tying a lot of like ropes together rather than actually making a story. It's, it's yeah. the same way I when we talk about like nostalgia sequels and stuff where they're not really making a story, they're just sort of making a framework around a bunch of nostalgia references to make everyone go, oh, and ah, remember that thing, you know? Yeah, and uh, everybody laughs and claps their hand and they're like, this is the greatest thing, they finally got it right in the prequels, and I'm like, no, they got so much wrong. Do you guys <laughs> even like Star Wars? <laughs> but there'll be time for prequel slander. Uh... <laughs> And and ample amounts when we actually get to those. I just it, that 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 occurred to me because you know like I, I've seen these movies before, but I I don't watch them religiously, so there's I don't remember all the details. So when he said that, I'm like, wait a minute, like I didn't remember yeah. him saying that, and I was like, that, that doesn't quite add up with uh, the one of the few things I remember about those prequels, <laughs> which is the. Do you remember the first time you saw this one? The first time, I would have been. It'd been about a year or two before Phantom Menace when, when the special edition VHSs were doing the runs. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, they did um, 
They released them in theaters also. So I I know I had seen them previously on television. Um, I want to say they were like special events for like, we're showing the Star Wars tonight. Everyone gather around the TV. But, um, but I really remember watching them for the first time fully and in the years um, coming up on the prequels when they released them in theaters. I think, I think I want to say they re-released them in theaters right before the special edition uh, VHSs came out. That's like a promotional thing. Like see, see the original theatrical for the last time in theaters before the special editions. Interesting. I, yeah, I think what's interesting to me about this movie is the, the timing of everything is like not what I remember every time I watch it because I don't remember the hot stuff taking up like almost 40 minutes of the movie. It feels, mm-hmm. in my in my memory, it's like, oh, that's the first 10 minutes. And yeah, then it, when you think about everything that happens though, like it is a lot. Yeah. And then likewise, like, oh, I can't really say what happens towards the end, but there's, there's a portion yeah. at the end <laughs> that I, I thought was like much nearer the end than, it, but it's actually the last like half hour as opposed to, yeah. you know, so th- there's a lot of like weird stretching and compressing of time in my memory of like how the, the plot plays out um that said though i do think you know i like the first 40 minutes because everyone's together it was more of the movie than i remembered so i was actually kind of pleased that there was more but you know with them all kind of in the same space um and then you know i i enjoy the millennium falcon stuff uh but particularly the interactions with han and leia and ultimately of course the introduction of lando i almost said lando there's a freudian babylon fire slip <laughs> i might do that <laughs> Hey, to be fair, just say land like hand. It's it's one syllable, okay? It's very easy to just make that that shift. Uh, that that said, Londo would improve any of Star Wars. How dare you? <laughs> no one pulls a cape like like Lando. No one can get away with calling. Han Solo, Han. Oh, no, no, no. no. Like I, I was not suggesting replacing Londo with. Orlando with Londo. <laughs> I, I, I just meant adding him to a Star Wars would, like, re- replace the Emperor with uh, with Londo. You want no, you want to replace Yoda with, with Londo? Oh, that would be good actually. I'm imagining look like just landing Dagobah and Londo's just sitting there with like a bottle of whatever booze he's drinking. Ah yes, Mister Skywalker. <laughs> I love Yoda. <laughs> and uh i i don't love him in the prequels but like i love yoda here <laughs> yeah, I, I, i'm gonna put yoda in the camp for for it's just for me personally he's in the overrated star wars stuff for me uh every every time i've watched empire strikes back since about 10 years ago i've like liked his stuff less and i, I just don't like it i just don't think i like it i think ultimately it's just a taste thing well he, he's definitely annoying when you first meet him but like it's kind of the point Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know that. And but... also, so is Luke. <laughs> well, I guess my other problem with it is that Luke's kind of annoying in this plot as well for a lot of it. Because he's constantly, oh, yeah, definitely. He's, he's just bitching about, like, oh, when am I going to go to Yoda? Because, you know, Yoda's not but you know why? Yoda. Why? With a big payoff in the beginning of the next movie. I don't remember what you're talking about, but I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll trust you, and I'll, I'll we'll revisit this when we do Jedi, but... Mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to remember, but <laughs> oh, I will. It's the thing. I, it's the first thing I love about Return of the Jedi. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. So, but obviously, you know, like I, I'm bringing up the hot takey things I've got, but obviously, everyone expects it from you. So. The, the film looks great, of course. I like the effects. 
I like a lot the of the music. characters. Can we talk about the music? Oh my yes. god! Like the music's elevated as well. It's it's such an exciting film, constantly all the way through. And I think you know a lot of the stuff that normally wouldn't work for me for the romance does because the Leia's theme is just so beautiful. I you know I always forget that the uh, Imperial March isn't in the first movie. It was a it was an addition for Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, I also forget how little because the Emperor's in this movie. But he's actually in less of it than I thought he was because I, I remembered him showing up in person. But apparently that doesn't happen until Jedi because you, you only see like the, uh, the, the, you know, the video call, the hologram. Yeah, he just sends his pawns to do all his work. Yeah. Uh, which actually, not to shit on other stuff, this is not prequel slander. This is sequels slander. <laughs> <laughs> because, I'm okay with it. Because it made me think actually when it was just that, I was like, oh, they, do you know what? It's actually like sickening almost how strictly they stuck to like these movies like in terms of copying things because like the first time you see like i think snoke or whoever it is just like one like oh like they were yeah it's just a hint like what is he we don't know oh it's like they they, yeah yeah actually i think that's one of the things that i want to praise about this actually is watching empire because you because you one of the first things you said is you mm-hmm. said that this is continuing the story, but it's not just doing the same thing. It's its own studio. It's got a different structure. It's got a different premise. It doesn't end neatly because it's by this point they knew they'd get a third movie, so they sort of end it on like a, oh, there's more to come. Whereas the first one, even though it was still open, it, it still had a neat ending. Like if if they never got another movie, they end the Star Wars, but it's still kind of oh, they, they kind of won. Like just like they, they destroyed the Death Star. It's over. Yeah, yeah. I'll have a parade. Um, <laughs> but watching this now. Uh, you know, in this era where we have so many nostalgia sequels, like the modern Star Wars movies, that are so, like, religiously just recreating those movies uh, to to a fault, it, it's actually really refreshing watching this and not feeling it feel like it's having to copy the first movie when all yeah. of the new movies have felt like they're copying, at least maybe the trilogy, maybe I'm being unfair to the, the spin-off ones, but, like, you know, that new trilogy was so tied to, like, just redoing moments. And, and for, I mean, Force Awakens especially was, like, the the exact structure of uh, yeah, the first it's, one. It's, I mean, I loved Force Awakens when it came out because I think it's like, oh, this is great. This is exactly what I remember Star Wars being. But now I'm a little more critical of it because <laughs> so many things have come from it that yeah. I just am so I'm bored of this formula. I just seen the, the Matrix code of The Force Awakens I, and I all agree. these scripts now. I completely agree. I think it's this age worse in hindsight because of all these other movies that have done the same trick. Um, it's almost like uh, could we said there uh, reminds me of the first Star Wars. This is, this is what I remember it being. For for whatever reason, that made me think of the scene from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of the Ooze, where is, Raphael. Is that the one with the uh, with uh, oh, what's his name in it? Dang it, uh, guy from Galaxy Quest. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell no, like, made his one. debut in one of the Turtles movies. No, he's in the first one. But the second okay. one has David Warner in it, if that's... Uh... <gasps> Don't let it end this Yeah, there way. you go. That's the one. Uh, but there's a scene where <laughs> Raph's been kidnapped by the enemy, and the other three Turtles are like coming up to him, and he's like tied to a post. And as they're walking to him, they're like, oh, it's quiet, a little too quiet. And then they see Raph, and it's like, oh, it's, it's Raph, a little too Raph. And... I just thought of that because when you said, "Oh, this is this makes me," th- I, I remember this is what Star Wars felt like. I'm like, "Yeah, it's a little too Star Wars." Mm, it's <laughs> awfully suspicious. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but I think that actually, in a weird way, does sum it up is that yeah, it's, it's Star Wars, but it's so 
strictly Star Wars that it's just, it's not been allowed to do or advance anything. Whereas this does, and there was clearly plans to take things forward. Obviously, it builds up to a very famous ending and reveal, and you know, there's a couple of hints throughout that it's building to that, which we'll talk about. But um, it does not feel like it's just copying the first movie, and I think that is to be applauded, um, probably even at the time, but certainly today in the world we live in. <laughs> like, yes. I'm so pleased that this isn't just copy it. And if anything, looking forward to Jedi, I would say Jedi does feel like it's a bit closer to the first film, which, you know... It does we, a good job wrapping up the story, I think, though. I mean, yeah, we, we can discuss that when we get to it. But. Um, also, I didn't notice as many special edition things in this one. No, I, I've always felt this is the one that's the least... Um, there is, like, one really dodgy shot when they're in the like the cloud that place uh, at the end mm-hmm. there's like, like an establishing shot of uh it, it, we cut to leah at a window eventually at the end of the scene but like the shot before that is going around all the structures it's like oh this looks a bit they've definitely if this wasn't originally there or they definitely touched it up if it's not completely new entirely it, it looks yeah. quite rough but empire i think always was the one of the three that at least having never seen the originals there's has the least in it that i noticed because you know the first film has i think more cg like inserted Obviously, it has that awful, whole scenes inserted. Yeah, yeah. The, the Jabba scene, yeah. And then the third one has the awful Force Ghost. We won't talk about the specifics yet, but, you know. and that, that so was unnecessary. And that was something that they kept making worse. Like, the DVD version, they made it even worse. <laughs> uh, and we've been stuck with that ever since. Uh, come on, Disney. All your movies are underperforming this year. Now's the time to break the, the glass. The, the, the theatrical <laughs> cuts of Star Wars in case of an emergency. Come on, break the glass. <laughs> It's time. Maybe they need to wait until Lucas dies or something. Maybe there's a clause where, well, he's alive. They're not allowed to go back. <laughs> that's what. That's always been my thing. It's kind of like when Prince died and all of his stuff became like fair use for uh, movies and stuff. Like because he never mm. u- let his music be used in movies. I think Michael Jackson might be the well, same. Although ex- except for 1989 Batman, he had several Prince well, songs. Well, he made a song for Batman. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I think Purple Rain, <laughs> but but yeah. But then when after he died, like you heard, like "Let's Go Crazy" everywhere. <laughs> it was uh, in the the sequel to the uh, Kingsman movie. Okay. Uh, Do you believe it? No. I'm not familiar with it. No, I'm sorry. Too bad. Well, I mean, it's it's your own loss because Prince is great. Prince is one of those artists where I couldn't tell you any of his songs. I just like literally named one that there was, a movie was named after. Okay, yes. Yeah, well, I didn't realize it was a song called Purple Rain. I know it was a movie called Purple Rain. Well, it's an album and a song and a movie. Ah, sounds like then put a lot of effort into the namings. Then if, if we just use the same name three times, but you know, it's look, it's he's the genius. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, just let him work, <laughs> let him cook. <laughs> I think he's done cooking, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> That was a morbid mm. he's dead joke. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> it's okay. I'll get over it one day. Yes. He was a big weirdo. I well, don't know if he, and he's I don't a small know, weirdo. I don't know if he was cremated, but if he was, that added to my joke. No. I'm sure he's buried under an ark somewhere. Probably. Yeah. He's got some, so, so some grave with a big fence around it and a big statue, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Anyway, so... 
Is there anything else we want to talk about before we get into the, the movie? I mean, like I say, I feel like most people probably know it, so it's probably safe to go into spoilers quickly with this one. It just made sense to it, talk about all the other things first. I think I'm ready. I all think right. I'm ready to talk about spoilers. Okay. Let's let's do this. All right. Well, there's some uh, patriarch elements to this film. <laughs> <laughs> you might go right into the spoiler. Okay. <laughs> I would I just said that as a joke. We'd have to go straight into it. Um, I mean, no, I mean, we can... Yeah, okay, let's talk about it. Because, like, obviously, so, yeah, look, I'm your father. There's that, right? Um, I think one of the things that I like, because I kind of forgot about this moment, and this is the one thing I liked in the Dagobah stuff, is, like, there's the scene where Yoda makes Luke go into, like, a mystical cave to face his fear or his ultimate fear or whatever it is. He doesn't really make him. He just sort of, like, feels the pull of it. Oh sure, yeah. I I feel like Yoda's like knowing that he's going to be doing this. He's like, you know, yeah. Pushing Yoda him knows. Into it. Yoda seems like you're not ready for it, and I don't want you to go. But if you're going to go, leave your weapons with behind or something. Yeah, and he goes out, and of course Darth Vader walks out, and it's an effective moment because him and Darth Vader have not went one on one yet. That that doesn't happen till the end of this movie. You know, they like the entire first movie, like. He he witnessed Darth Vader. He he saw him. Uh, this movie really establishes that dismember his mentor yeah and this movie really establishes that vader and the emperor are aware of luke you know the emperor's all oh there's a disturbance in the force there's this little prick named luke skywalker we should <laughs> we should kill him he's kind of a little prick and vader's like or oh, we could have him join us and he's like yes uh, and that's also where he's like yeah i believe he is the son of anakin skywalker and it's all like oh yeah well we're, we're not going to say your son because we don't want to spoil that for the audience we're going to speak all and i feel anakin like, skywalker. i feel like the choice to have the emperor refer to anakin skywalker as if he's another person is almost like the retroactively trying to justify why obi-wan spoke the way he did about anakin in the first movie when he said but i think it's also a continuation of the fact that when darth vader was born anakin died well, see, a they, continu- are, they are kind of treated like two different people well, you say it's a continuation, but what's it continuing from in this case? Where was that established? Because, well, because uh, in the first film, Obi-Wan tells Luke that uh, your, fa- yeah, like your father was a great Jedi and he was killed by Darth Vader. Yeah, and, but, but hold on. So, so you're telling me you, you don't think that when that line was written originally, it's because they hadn't decided yet that Darth Vader was going to turn out to be his father? No, but I think it works. I think it, I think it works. It doesn't have to be intentional for it to work. No, no, no. I agree. It doesn't have to be intentional. But I'm just challenging you, saying it's a continuation. I, to me, this is the establishing of this. This isn't the continuation. This is them starting it. Okay. I don't understand how that would be any different, though. Well, well, well I'm saying that they're trying to retroactively make the way Obi Wan talked about it work, right? So they're kind of mm-hmm. phrasing it this way, so that in hindsight makes sense. Uh, so they're they're almost like so they're fixing a mistake, him, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's almost like they're fixing a mistake here with the with phrasing it this way. That, that's all I'm suggesting. But I think you know, uh, given what we know about the Emperor and Darth Vader's relationship, I think it is very much like you left Anakin behind and now you're Darth Vader. So I will also refer to him as a, a dead person. I see what you're saying, but we don't have you that. Acknowledge yet. it. <laughs> no, but we don't have that yet. You're saying what we know of their relationship, but we don't know that yet. We don't know anything about their relationship yet. All we know about their relationship is this one scene. It's literally this well, one no, scene. No, we know that 
um, Darth Vader refers to the Emperor as Master. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, we hear that here. So there's a little bit of a master-father-like thing going on there. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I'm just saying, but you're definitely bringing in some of what we know about their thing from Jedi and possibly even the prequels. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think it all... Like, like all this stuff works, though. It all still fits in the canon, and if they want to, like, write it this way so that it works with the first film, I'm happy with that. Well, yeah, but I wasn't even critiquing it. I, I'm, I'm just I'm just sort of, like, pointing it out and going, hey, that's that's why they're doing it that way. Because they have to make that first movie and what Obi-Wan said work. Now, I'm sure people will say that it was always planned. Maybe that's true. Oh, I doubt that. <laughs> but I don't believe it. I don't believe that it was always planned. I think I I don't I don't believe that George Lucas has a plan or even like writes scripts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I I also uh Oh, yeah. this one's Lawrence Kasdan, right? Uh yeah, but I'm sure Lucas had Well, and a, pre- I'm pretty sure he's credited as a writer and like the story and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, Ivan Kirshner is the director of uh, this one. Uh, very, you know, highly esteemed director, Robocop 2. Yeah. <laughs> Dead or alive, you're coming with me again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the line from Robocop 2. Wait, he didn't. Oh, he's he's a he's an actor in Undeadly Ground. I was <gasps> I saw I saw. Undeadly, I love that movie. I saw Undeadly Ground. I went. He didn't direct that. I'm sure that was Seagal. I love that movie, that. but I wish, I wish Steven Seagal was just a little bit more patriotic. That would have made it so much better. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? I just want to talk about on the Deadly Ground. <laughs> we're not talking about Undeadly Ground. What were we talking about before? Um. Directors, um, something about Palpatine and Darth Vader's relationship. I feel I feel like we're moving on from that, but okay, all right, matter. all right, it's time to move on. Yeah, What's okay, um, yeah. So anyway, so 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 Luke has this this vision where he Darth Vader is there and they have a quick fight and he wins. He cuts off Darth Vader's head and Darth Vader's helmet is like damaged and it reveals that inside the, the helmet was luke and obviously i think when you're first watching the movie this is like okay this represents luke's fear of turning to the dark side and we know that from the emperor and vader scene that that's what they want to do is they want to turn them so this movie kind of becomes about this idea that the dark side is going to be trying to pull on him as well um that's how dirtier than i intended to <laughs> but you know what i meant um but I think what's good about this is that in hindsight, when you get to the end of the movie, is that I actually think this is foreshadowing that Darth Vader is his father. Um, forgetting the fact that you know what he looks like from the prequels, it would make a lot of sense to think that Luke's father would probably look, look a lot like him, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is his father. So the idea of him seeing himself in the Vader helmet is like the force maybe kind of loosely... like. Yeah, because that way that they they constantly sense things in the Force. I think this is like a way that the Force is kind of like... It's a bit of a communication. Yeah. It's like he's sort of sensing that there's some sort of connection to him, that is part of him is in there. And then obviously it turns out to be... And that's why at the end of the movie, when Darth says, I am your father, and Luke says, no, that can't be true. He says, no, look inside yourself. You know it to be true. That moment of him seeing himself in the Darth Vader helmet is the confirmation for the audience and that's what Luke effectively thinks about 
or it, like when he when he feels it inside him we already saw that he feels it inside him because that's what the face and the helmet was earlier yeah it's like a force vision or something from whenever this cave is which i assume is something that's just maybe there's i don't know force magic kyber crystals going on in there i don't know but uh, I, don't, I don't hate that this thing exists you know that there's just this powerful pull that you know obviously the skywalkers all have this connection with the force so like having um having these spiritual like visions i think makes sense and i do really like the scene as well because you're right like the first time you watch it you think oh he's afraid he's afraid of being drawn by the power of the of the dark side even yoda's like don't go in there you don't need to look no. like it's not you're not ready for it but he says i have to i just feel this compulsion so it is a bit of a warning like he may get drawn and, and, and you know that all gets explored way more in the next movie and, and of course the good thing is is that despite the fact that i'm saying it's that it turns out to be this foreshadowing of the father thing and you know works really well for realizing that luke does know that deep down um everything you just said there's also still true like yeah mm -hmm. there is still a fear of being pulled to the dark side you know that's that's still true it doesn't have to be not true for the other thing to work so uh all, all that works really well I, I i do this is not so much a critique per se but what was interesting to me so when you, you he eventually leaves right he's like oh no i sense that han and leia are in trouble they're my friends i'm going to go help them and yoda's like no let them die because <laughs> your training's more important and ghost ben shows up you know and he's like yeah look you have to stay here and he's like, no, 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 I need to go and help them. It doesn't matter. Which I like, I like that he makes that choice. You know, it's the idea that, you know, it's not worth doing this if the people I care about are going to suffer because of it. Right? I like that choice. But you've got the famous line where he's flying off and Ben, Obi-Wan says, you know, that boy is our last hope. And Yoda says, no, there is another. Right? It's a, it's a famous line people quote all the time. And as soon as he said it, I sort of thought, I, like, I know just from, like my general knowledge that what he's talking about is leia but it occurred to me in the moment i'm like does that really get paid off in any way shape or form in the rest of this movie i don't think it does yes well let, let me you could tell me what, 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 where it gets paid off in a second <laughs> but i'll give you my interpretation of the moment that i think should have been a more clear payoff for it is that when luke's dangling from an antenna after he's lost his hand he's he's dove down this big chute He's, he's basically left there for dead if he can't somehow, like, signal someone to come and help him. And he reaches out via the Force to Leia, who's in the Millennium Falcon with Lando. And she's like, oh, I can hear Luke, or I can sense Luke in my head. And they turn back to go get him, and that's how they save Luke. I think a simple little change here for me, right? And I know this is blasphemy to people who love Empire Strikes Back that I'm suggesting an improvement. <laughs> but I actually would not have had Luke reach out to her. I would have had Leia just send some on her own and that would be the payoff to there is another is this like no she has the force too she's sensing him and she goes back for him yeah i i think that does work um i don't know that it works better because this is a luke who's at least had training mm. and is more understanding and more connected to the force so maybe he already senses that leia is uh, a part of it too or at least he doesn't know why, but he's he's able to sense that she's able to pick it up. Uh, so, maybe. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, but I I do agree that the Leia Force stuff has been underutilized throughout the whole series. I mean, I feel like if she if Carrie Fisher had stayed alive, we would have gotten a more satisfying conclusion um, to something like that. But 
Uh, they they tried though. They tried in the last film. Definitely. It, it feels like yeah, they don't really do much with it, and I could have used like just a, a more direct moment where it was her using, even if it's just, again just as something as simple as sensing that he needed help and like having that instinct to go back and look for him. That would have been enough yeah. to be like, okay, that's something that's just her tapping into something unintentionally, but just because like the emotions are there to like sort of motivate her to do so. Yeah, especially I guess. Well, I mean, I guess it works still because he's had the training, but in the opening of the film, Luke is in distress and he does need help and he's, you know, essentially going to die if someone doesn't find him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he there could have been something there at least where Leia feels like there's something wrong. I mean, she does go around asking if people have seen him, um, but we don't really, we don't really see that. We just sort of hear like uh, some sort of courier tell on that yeah, like well, Leia's uh, asking if anyone's seen Luke uh, let's leave that for a second because I, 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 I want to go back and talk about all that hot stuff but w so when I said they don't pay that off in the movie the, there's another line you said that they did so by all means the Bestman scene I mean it's a scene you went into it's the same scene so it's it's the scene of Luke reaching into the force and calling to Leia oh but I mean mostly it pays off in the third film I I didn't think she had to have the force to like, you know, receive the transmission as effectively. So it never even occurred to me that that was in any way confirming anything. I don't. I don't know that I can think of anyone who sees or senses anything who doesn't have the force. Okay. Okay. I mean, I still liked what I suggested better, but like, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I I think it would have also it tapped into because there's a constant thing in this movie, like you say, of people looking out, like these characters looking out for each other and being concerned for each other, and yeah, going back to the hot stuff at the start, Luke, who's a bit of an idiot, gets kidnapped by a yeti, and <laughs> like is your hot this dangerous, super cold planet? The storm's coming in, and Han's ready to leave. He's just bickering with Leia. And as soon as he like finds out that Luke's not back yet, he immediately gets concerned and just puts himself at risk to go and find him. And it's like, oh, that's kind of heartwarming. He's going off to to save Luke. Yeah, and it's not like the Millennium Falcon's ready to go. It's it's like under repair, so yeah. he has to go out on Tauntaun. Absolutely, yeah. Which uh, he hates. And they have to even camp. In fact, he pulls a bit of a revenant and like his Tauntaun dies, so he, he cuts it open and puts Luke and inside. Reversed, but yes. What? <laughs> Revenant obviously takes from the Tauntaun scene. Oh, okay. I mean, I wasn't suggesting that it actually took from that. I, I was, I was just, <laughs> I was just saying, the Revenant. Although, what, what's his name? Glass. <laughs> I don't want to say his name is Hugh Glass because I don't think that's right, but it might be right. Um, the, the, the guy from the Revenant, Revenant the, is a real guy. The so maybe he did do that. The point is that the Revenant is more known for Leo sleeping inside the bear for warmth that i think this one moment in empire is for luke sleeping inside the tauntaun <laughs> okay people okay. can disagree with me I, I do think it's interesting though that uh, han picks up luke's lightsaber to do the cutting and i'm like oh it's interesting just seeing him use one because like 
like this this original tool for him this original series of movies is very like shy about having anyone that's not a jedi or sith like pick up a lightsaber whereas the new films you know you had like poe like run around with it for a bit and even try and fight with it which honestly having someone who's not a jedi trying to use one and like failing miserably is kind of interesting honestly yeah finn did that in the first one yeah oh finn not poe sorry i'm mixing up the characters poe might have done in like a later film i I only saw the last one one i I don't think he did i i I, I was literally just swapping their names i I was thinking of boyega in my head i just swapped the names around because they're such memorable characters that i just you know uh (laughs) (laughs) i do think the characters are quite memorable at least (laughs) I mean, they're okay, but I mean, like... <laughs> Boyega should be a superstar, though. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so they opened the movie. Just So we, we talked about the the, the big thing. Because I, I, I wanted to talk about the things that sort of led up to it and how I really appreciated it, especially on this viewing, like thinking about it a bit more critically for themes and things like that, how much the movie does kind of introduce this pull to and from the dark side. Uh, the entire thing in the third act is a trap for Luke because... Darth Vader wants Luke. That's what they're there for. They're there to kidnap him and try and turn them. So, uh, but anyway, back to the, the, the hot stuff at the start. So, um, that's obviously leads to one of the big famous action sequences of the movie uh, when the Empire actually do find where they are, uh, which has got a couple of fun dark beats, uh, dark comedy beats, I mean to say, uh, on the way. Uh, basically, there's like a uh, an admiral who just kind of disregards, oh, whatever reading that drone got, it's not important. Right, Darth Vader takes one look at the the drone reading, and goes, "That's it. That's where they are. The rebellion's there." And he's like, "Dar, Lord Vader, are you sure? Are you sure about this?" And then he seemingly like alerts the enemy that they're there by like coming at a light speed, like too soon or something like that. And Darth Vader just chokes him, it kills him, and promotes the other guy. <laughs> I enjoyed this. Is it over a view screen, right? Yeah, he does it. He does it through a, a, a view screen. Yeah, in fact, which which I think it's pretty cool that he has that kind of a range to be able to force choke somebody over a view screen. Did, didn't this happen with Kylo Ren in one of the new ones? Because I I feel like I remember people debating whether or not that was possible, and then people bringing up this scene and being like, "No, Darth Vader did it in Empire." Bloody hell! I don't remember, but yeah, I don't it remember wouldn't either. surprise me if they had borrowed from Empire in this yeah. scene because it is kind of comical. Yeah. I, well, maybe it wasn't the same thing. Maybe it was just a case if he did it over a long range, and then people used this scene as like a no. Look, Darth Vader literally done it, done it through a telephone call. So yeah. clearly, clearly, <laughs> this Skype call <laughs> is not the important thing here. Uh, but yeah, so I, I I do love that uh, Han and Leia and all that get away just uh, as Darth Vader's like coming in because it's it's like because you kind of feel like. These characters, like, what are they even going to do if they're in a room with Darth Vader? Like, Han and Leia are just screwed if, like, they're there with them. And sure enough, that ha- In fact, I'll have a slight critique here, actually. This is a slight little nitpick. Is that later on, when the trap is sprung, when they're on the Cloud City, and, like, Lando opens the door, and, like, Darth Vader's there, and, like, Han and Leia go in as if they're going to have this dinner scene, and then it cuts away. I actually, every time I watch this movie... I'm disappointed we don't get a scene with them sitting there with Darth Vader because, like, what would they talk about? What would Han mm-hmm. say? Like, I can imagine, like, Darth Vader, like, just, you know, sounding like Darth Vader and Han just being, like, a defiant little shit because that's who Han Solo is. <laughs> you want to see the uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner with the with your family, with your conservative yes! parents or something? <laughs> I want to see Han be defiant even though Darth Vader could kill him in an instant because that's who Han Solo is. That's yeah. what I want to see. Yeah. He is uh, sassy. 
So I feel like there's like a deleted scene Bad there. Boy. That, for whatever reason, they just didn't keep it. It is it is quite a tease. It is a little bit of a you guys like this. It's gone. <laughs> so there is that. Um, but uh, right right from the get go, the Han and Leia chemistry is like off the charts. The you know like. I, I like the performances because, like, you know, Han's saying, hey, it's time to go, and he's saying goodbye to, like, the other general dude, and Leia just sort of looks over, like, she's just, like, it's, it's, it's like, he's just earned the you know, sleeping on the couch look, effectively, because he's saying goodbye, and he comes over and tries to give her, like, a sort of genuine goodbye, but when she sort of, like, cold shoulders him, he immediately just goes into, like, you know, bratty territory, where he starts saying, ah, oh, you're just gonna miss me, you're gonna be sad that you can't kiss me or anything. He sounds very Indiana Jones in those moments to me. Uh, Whenever he starts shouting, <laughs> but it's like a pouty shout. I mean, he is Harrison Ford, but I, I think this distinctly sounds like Han Solo to me. Okay. I, I, would, I would say so. Um, I will say, you though... You can use a good kiss. <laughs> for, for all the good, like, practical effects and all that stuff... I will say the sets for these, like, ice tunnels did look quite fake. Like, you know, they look quite cheap. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I think it but just they comes... had, I mean, they had to make so many different sets, though. Like, the production design is very good, especially in the, oh, yeah, in yeah. the last, like, after the film. No, like, like I don't want anyone to take me as, you know, crapping on this, because this is it literally... It looks a little bit like you're in a line for a Disneyland ride yeah. for Star Wars. <laughs> it's literally, this is like the one set in the whole movie that just sort of stuck out to me is looking like it was just polystyrene, like, walls or something like that, and, yeah. Well, no one's got, like, you can't see anybody's breath, so, like, it doesn't really mm. look that cold. Yes, yes, you have to pump in, you know, this freezer to, like, give everyone some <laughs> cold breath. You gotta make your actors very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes. I mean, these days you just CG in the breath, which I don't necessarily love either. Unless, but maybe it's not ice. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something spacey that we don't know about. That feels like a fan trying to, like, a, like justifying headcanon something to explain a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> or in this maybe case, it's actually quite insulated in there, so it's very warm. Yeah, yeah, but it's not just the temperature though. It's the it's the actual texture of the walls looks. Uh, you know, it looks like a set. It doesn't look like real ice or snow. Uh, which you know, it, it, it's just a minor critique. It's just something that I noticed when they were bickering in the hallways. Uh, there's a lot of famous lines that come out of this though. When you know, so Han goes and gets Luke and brings him back the next day. Um, you know, the, the fight. You know, the pilot goes out and finds them. And when Luke wakes up, we get some banter between them where, you know. Hans try to be all charming to Leah again, and you know we get the laugh it up fuzzball when Chewie laughs at him. Uh, we get the scruffy looking nerf herder. A uh, little bit of trivia here: the band who did the theme song for the hit television show Buffer the Vampire Slayer are called Nerf Herder. Herder. Nerds. Named after presumably this quote, uh, and then Leah. To make Han jealous, or well, maybe not make him jealous, that's maybe not quite the right thing to say, uh, to get back at him for being a dick, <laughs> goes over and kisses Luke in front of him, which Luke looks so smug about. He really puts his hands <laughs> behind his head, he's got a little smirk on him. Um, well, the joke's on you, Luke, because... Hey, he, to he told her, like, you could use a good kiss, and she went and got it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, we, we're not talking about spoilers. Yeah. 
I'll just say, speaking of things that probably weren't planned for the next movie yet, <laughs> I think this scene's going to stick out when we talk about something that happens in the next one. That's all I'm going to say. It's pretty harmless, though. Right? It's it's harmless. I, I think... It, it wasn't a romantic kiss anyway. No, I, <laughs> I think it just sticks out because it, it, it does feel like the writers don't know. You, they de- if they had known, they definitely want to put it in there, right? Well, I, I think you could have still put it in there, but I think you would have played it slightly differently. And you would have certainly acknowledged it a bit more heavily when, you know, the next movie happens and there's reveals. I can't believe I kissed my sister. <gasps> oh, shit. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to. <laughs> Anyone who knows Empire is going to also know. Like, who who are these people who have seen Star Wars and Empire but have not seen Jedi yet? Uh, I was being so good. <laughs> It's okay, we're in spoilers. Ah, now I I could joke about incest quite happily because I I'm an only child, so I I literally like the the idea of someone kissing their sisters like just whatever to me because like I don't have a sister, I don't have a brother. I it's it's just something I can I I've got no danger of accidentally doing it. So well, unless uh my par- one of my parents was uh got some secret kids I don't know about. Um, not real. But <laughs> so you know, anyway. Um, I'm not an only child. I can't recall ever kissing either of my siblings on the lips. <laughs> Though my my I have seen my father kiss his sister on the lips, but it was like a friendly thing. Like it's just a thing that they I don't know. They're German, so maybe it's a thing. It's, a, it's an old <laughs> yeah, both German and like a previous generation kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe yeah. <laughs> I think so. All like right. he, he basically was raised by his older sisters. No. Okay. I'm not yeah. sure if that makes it better or worse to be honest, but we'll move swiftly. I remember thinking on. it was weird, like you. I would never do that to my brother, but like it wasn't like a romantic thing either. It was like it was nice mm. to see you kiss. Okay. Maybe we should stop. Hey, this is clearly a touchy subject for you. I, mean, I don't care. <laughs> well, yeah, it's burned in my memory. <laughs> what stories from Tara's weird family will we get next time? <laughs> Only time will tell. Um, anywho, so yeah, um, but you get all the big action stuff. You get the uh, the eighty eighties uh, and all that stuff, um, which you know they're out in the That's snow. True. We get we get new types of um, scary machines. <laughs> what else to call them? Vehicles. Yeah, s- same with the flying vehicles. Obviously, you have. The the X wings are back, but the the main pilots, the or the main ships they're piloting on on Hoth to fight these things are these new little kind of I don't even know what you describe them as. They're just kind of like more solid shapes. Um, and then you know Darth Vader's got like a ship later on. It's got the the, the wings that kind of go up. That's kind of new. Um, I did notice during the asteroid stuff. Uh, there were these new TIE fighters which were like doubles in the middle. It, it was almost like a like a set of binoculars with the TIE fighter wings at the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of feel like that was just sort of milking as, okay, you need a new TIE fighter toy to put out this Christmas. All right, I get it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. Um, but, you know, th- th- those sequences are, are pretty good. Uh, obviously, the, the, the fighter pilot going around the legs to, to, to topple one of them. Um, but Did I also... see Luke use a lightsaber to, like, take one down? Yeah, I, well, I like that because he, he, he grapples up to it. So we get this nice wide shot of him grappling up and then he lightsabers a, a, an opening and then he 
throws in an explosive, then jumps down, and then the whole thing just goes boom. The only critique I'll have of it, and this is just like a off-the-time special effects thing, is that when he does the lightsaber thing, it's like he just makes a door open as opposed to actually cutting into the metal and making a like an actual welding hole. But, you know... It's just... Yeah, why would they use the special editions to fix that? I mean, I'm glad they didn't. I'd rather they leave it untouched, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's just one of those I little I think there's something very things. endearing about the type, like, of the model work and, you know, the kind of things that we don't really get anymore because of CG. And I think... I I don't know. I, I think it, everybody thinks it's a mistake to touch up the original Star Wars trilogy. Like, it was already... You made your art. You step away. Like, it's done. Everybody accepts it. Everyone thinks it's a masterpiece. Just step away. You know, you don't have to keep working on it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's acceptable things you can do later. Um, like, something like director's is, cuts or something? Well, director's cuts, but even just, like, touching things up. Like, I know Ridley Scott, like, removed the kind of obvious stunt double face and swapped it out with the real actor in Blade mm-hmm. Runner. And I think it's, like... Fixing, like, a tiny mistake like that that just corrects something that shouldn't have been there, I think. You know, or, or in Aliens, um, like, when you can see, like, Lance Henriksen's body pop out when it's not meant to be there, uh, they eventually, like, like digitally altered that when the Blu-rays were done. But you could, up until that point, you could always see this mistake. So it's just this fixing this one little mistake. And, like, you can make an argument yeah, that they shouldn't, but, um, you know, that doesn't it, really bother me that in much. In Star Wars, they left the uh, Stormtrooper bonking his head on the ceiling, which... The first 70 times I watched that movie, I never noticed. But when I saw it, I never unsaw it. Every time I watch it, I see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm okay with that. This is a charm to... Yeah, I know. You, you could just say the Stormtrooper but... bonked his head. That's fine. That can be in-universe. It's funny. <laughs> it could be in-universe. Uh, so, yeah. So they fly off the Millennium Falcon. Luke, because he's been separated, fighting the 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 various vehicles. The side. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> he gets his X-Wing and goes to Dagobah. Uh, so he goes off to his plot with Yoda, which we've talked about, I guess, a bit, but if you want to talk about any other Yoda stuff, uh, now would be the the time for it. Yeah, I know it is kind of annoying um, when Yoda shows up, but I think it's supposed to draw out... Like, he's testing Luke, right? Because Yoda is there to... All right, so 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 Ben Kenobi shows up as a Force ghost and says, "Luke, you have to go to Dagobah and you have to find a great Jedi Master." Yeah. And Luke has his idea of what a Jedi Master would be. He's probably large and has a leader-like de- demeanor and is powerful and maybe maybe old and uh, I don't know, but he, like he was expecting. He has an idea of what of what it, it's going to be, right? He yeah. was expecting in his prime Gary Busey. I know, I know. That's what you're yes. trying to say. All teeth. That's all he's expecting. <laughs> Probably hiding in someone with Tiggle Biddy's uh, attic. <laughs> oh, okay. I was wondering where you were going with that. What are you talking about this for? <laughs> There's a reference to a film called Hider in the House, where Gary Busey hides, would you believe it, in the house. <laughs> it's it's the premise of the film, so yes. I highly suggest watching it. Um, and anyway, um, yeah, so when he, when he gets there and there's this, you know, little shit in the way who's annoying and trying to take his food and <laughs> hit all of his stuff with a cane and talks funny... And a small, he's not expecting that to be the 
Jedi Master. So the the lesson is like you know anybody could be a, a Jedi. You just have to have the Force within you. Are, or are we ass- are we assuming that Yoda used the Force to pull Luke to his location because it's very coincidental that Luke happened to crash land within walking distance of well, Yoda's we place? We know that maybe, but we know that um, uh, th- that Ben is also talking to Yoda. Yes. In his force ghost form. So there could be some. Yeah. They're colliding and parenting. They're, this is mummy and daddy. It's awfully coincidental, which makes me think that it has to be something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, that's not really a serious uh, complaint. I'm just, I'm just pointing out that <laughs> but yeah, know, I, I, it's a whole planet. <laughs> I, I do find that both characters are annoying in this part. Like, I think Luke is also just kind of, is whiny. He was whiny in the first movie also. Um, yeah, yeah, he was but, a bit whiny, especially at the start when he was wanting to like go off to you know be in the rebellion. Power computers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think like the overarching plot of Luke really pays off because he has to go through this hero's journey and he has to leave the whiny parts of him behind because he, you know, he needs to be, he needs to be. Um, tested and he needs to have the mirror put in front of him and he needs to put that stuff behind him and uh, uh, yeah and i think on the scale of the movie as a whole um obviously this is not what yoda and kenobi want but for the purpose of the story of his journey over the whole three films he has to fail and that's what the end of this movie is is him failing it's like him going against their uh you know advice and trying to have the fight anyway and failing um mm-hmm. and he stays true to himself to not like accept the dark side. You know, he gets out of there, he gets out of dodge, but he does fail, <laughs> and uh, you know that's a big important part of his journey. Um, yeah. Um, meanwhile, uh, the Millennium Falcon is in- being pursued by the Empire. Several destroyers, bunch of Tie Fighters, all that stuff, and they fly into an asteroid field to try and get rid of them. And eventually they can't get away, so they go and hide inside what they think is a cave on an asteroid. Um, obviously, the big reveal at the end of this is that it's actually the mouth of a of a monster. Um, <laughs> which I will say. So there's a point where they actually get out the ship, right? And they do put on oxygen masks, but this is effectively just in like the mouth, like you know, in the throat of this monster who's just in space. There's no atmosphere, and I'm like, you know. I know Star Wars isn't the most scientifically, you know, conscious franchise, right? It what are you trying really, to say? It doesn't really <laughs> care. But I, I can never get it, help get get take it out of my mind that when they're walking around with just these little... And it's, it's like um, the sort of oxygen mask you put on, like, a patient in, like, a hospital. It's just a little, you know, over-the-nose... It, it's, it's barely a respirator. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm like, you know... Going out of space, you need more protection than just just a little oxygen. <laughs> what about <mask>? your eyeballs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot more going on there, and I get—I know it doesn't matter. It's not important. <laughs> Turns out the pressure is fine outside, <laughs> <laughs> but it all—it always just sticks out to me. Uh, but yeah, so that, that leads to more bickering, and there's there's a nice, there's a cute little moment here actually where um, C3PO's been annoying Han like the whole movie. He keeps like. Button in, he interrupts him when he's finally getting to smooch with Leia a little bit and maybe getting somewhere. And <laughs> he's just so pissed off at him. But there's a moment where C3PO tells him there's a part of the ship need replaced, and Han's like, Of course it needs replaced. Right? And just sort of like you know, grills him for it. And then turns around two seconds later to Chewie and says, Oh, but Chewie, I think we need to replace that thing. 
you know, <laughs> revealing that he didn't actually know that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. It's almost, it's almost like you should have thanked C-3PO for that advice, but... C-3PO is just trying to be helpful the whole movie. And he keeps getting the crap kicked out of him. Uh, he never is. He's never helpful once in this entire film. <laughs> I do like that um, the role of Chewie in this film seems to be to take care of the droids, though. Like he's mm. He's sort of become like... You know, Chewie's like based on a dog, right? Which is a normally a pet or companion animal, and but Chewie's taking care of the droids like they're a pet, almost like they they're kind of helpless or at least C three PO especially just is constantly like getting lost and needs help and shouldn't be on his own. Also so blown up or blown up. Like he's got <laughs> he's always trying to find him and like keep him from being murdered by Han. <laughs> I just I enjoyed that dynamic because it, it's a little bit like well what are we going to do with the droids in this film if Luke's going to be separated from them well we'll just have them have this this other strange new dynamic really well where... one of them R two's with them yeah you're right the, yeah. the droids are separated which is yeah. also very unusual right because yeah. they were together the whole film the first one yeah and R two was always the capable one you know like <laughs> the whole joke of the in the first movie was that. C-3PO would prattle on as if R2 is not doing anything useful, but then it turned out R2 was solving the entire problem mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, hacking into something or whatever he was doing. That that was that was kind of the... the Being the, adorable. The back and forth of them. Uh, and mm-hmm. there's a moment in this, actually, when they're on Dagobah, where R2 goes on his tiptoes to look in the window when, when they're... It's, I guess when they're in Yoda's little hut, and he's like mm-hmm. sort of on his tiptoes to look in the window. And I'm like, well, did Yoda not want R2 in there? Or could he not fit in the little... The little entranceway you have to You're crawl in beating up r2 <laughs> i love every time uh, r2 screams or has his like nervous whistle the ooh, ooh. <laughs> he's so cute so i i that's the other thing i always forget when i'm watching this is how many parts there is to specifically the, the falcon dealing with the the empire because you've got like a whole chase sequence into the asteroid field, and I always remember the asteroid bit and the monster, but then I always forget that when they come out of that, they're back, they're immediately in lane of sight again, and they're immediately having to like evade, and they end up tricking them by kind of like sort of like going out of their sensors by attaching themselves to the to the ship to the Death Star, not Death Star, sorry, the, the Star Destroyer, and uh, they sort of hide sort of like in plain sight, as it were, for a little bit, um, and then they use like expelling its trash to sort of sneak away um after they've uh sort of like given up i like the idea that the, the ships all have to evacuate before they can jump the lights me why have i got uh, like I, let's just dump our trash before we go whatever yeah does this ever come up again the, 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 i don't this? know <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it does but i mean maybe people will tell me i'm wrong uh but of course, while they're hiding, this is when we get Darth Vader talking to a bunch of bounty hunters that uh, are all... That basically, he wants them to find the Falcon, uh, and it turns out, you know, Han's reference, the reason why he was leaving at the start is because uh, Jabba the Hutt's still after him, so that, that plot thread's still going. And it turns out Boba Fett is trying to find him for Jabba the Hutt, which becomes very important uh, a little bit later. So... Han says, like, hey, we're not too far away from this place. There's this guy there named Lando. I think, you know, I, I don't know if I can trust him, but he doesn't like the Empire, so I think, I think you know, he'll, he'll give us shelter. We could go and hide there. And there's a little bit of a build-up to that. We're boys. We go way back. 
yeah. Uh, and of course, there's a bit of tension at first, but Lando comes out and hugs him, and it all feels hunky-dory. And it's all just, uh, you know, and, and this ends up leading to, of course, that the Empire got here first because Boba Fett was following them and figured out where they were going. And uh, Lando's turned them in. He's turned on them to sort of basically keep the Empire from interfering with his mining business that he's got going here. He's very happy with the Empire not being a part of it. So he's made a deal, uh, which leads to a couple of more famous lines. This deal keeps getting worse all the time. And also... I've altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it further. You know, so, some, uh, some very quotable moments. Uh, and that last one especially is the one where it sort of convinces Lando to, like, sort of say effort and try and help the main characters. Because he's never really happy about it. You know, Lando, he's a very interesting character to add into a second movie because there's a whole question of, like, can we trust him or not? And then he yeah, turns on he's them. He's not like a, he's not a, a rebel. He's just like a businessman. Yeah, but th- then he does turn on them, but then almost immediately, like, it it always feels, it never feels like he's just been a villain. It always feels like there's a sort of reason for it. And then the more he sees, like, them being treated by Vader and Cole, when he sees Han being tortured or hears her Han being tortured, and then he hears that Vader's going to take Leia with him, like, he does ultimately, it's, it's like he's got a meter in a video game building up of, like, okay, the empathy and moral meters, like, it's building, it's building. Oh no, it's his gauge. Okay, it's time for him to swoop into action and do something good. And yeah. sure enough, he does and tries to help them. This is after, of course, Han is frozen in carbonite, which we have to talk about. So, yeah, this is after the scene that the blue balls does with, oh, what would Hanley and Darth Vader talk about at dinner? <laughs> <sighs> Bastards. Uh, but we, we get the, the famous, you know, I love you, I know scene um and what yeah jerk. that this was well i actually see what you see watching the whole movie i think it's easy to forget when you're when you just see that clip or you hear that that scene quote yeah on its own i agree it sounds worse but yeah. like the whole movie he's trying to get her to admit that he loves that she loves him yeah or just you know as interested at the very least so it's this big thing where she thinks he's about to because they, they don't know if this will kill him they're actually they're testing this technology on technology they're testing this technology on him to see if it'll kill him so that they know if it's safe to use for luke so it's this sort of like heat of the moment thing and she finally admits these feelings in the most you know grand way possible and he just says i know because his his entire thing the whole movie the, the, the running joke almost is that he keeps saying i know you're into me you just don't want to admit it uh, so it's, it's a payoff to all that so it, it, <laughs> in context of the whole movie it works quite well even though on its own it sounds like he's been a dick <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think it works i think it works in the context of the movie uh, yeah yeah but when you see like the couple's t-shirts and stuff where it says i love you i know i'm like does it does it work the same just kind of come off as a as a dick yeah it, <laughs> it does it does it is weird when it's just quoted on its own like i, I guess you're supposed to get what it's from and understand the context of it but it is a bit strange uh, when it's used <laughs> that way. Um, it's yeah. for like wedding stuff too. Okay. But I love this set that they're in for this because this is where... So so Luke shows up and he's sneaking about a bit, but he ends up in this room, right? And this is where he encounters Darth Vader. And what I love about this, I love the lighting here. It's a mix of blue and orange, which if you know movie posters from the last 20 years, that's the, that's the, that's the color combination to make things feel epic. 
that, but that is the epic <laughs> the epic color <laughs> but it, it feels it feels really grand it feels like a big deal that they're going toe to toe that they're standing up to each other that looks breaking out his lightsaber and even when it spills out into the hall like i like that that's equally empty like the entire confrontation between luke and darth vader there's not a single extra in the background there's no one there it's like mm-hmm. this personal one-on-one thing the entire time, regardless of which stage it, of the fight we're so at. There's so much silhouette, and and when like the lightsabers first come out too, it, it's so it, it is very epic. You know, that's why maybe that's why they triggered all those posters. But like, obviously, blue and orange are very complementary colors. But yeah. like, blue is also a very satisfying color to look at. Oh, uh, so that's calming. Thing. You mentioned silhouette. Actually, before the when he first goes in the room, the the main orange light isn't really on yet. So he's kind of standing almost in complete shadow. Is he's only just a bit of light going around, you know, the the rim of his face, and then that mm-hmm. orange light comes out. The, the the lighting of the scene, like the the yeah, it's really gorgeous. All of it's just beautiful, and like I say, the the tone and the mood as this fight is happening, and it does. It, it's funny. I'm going to compare it to something that came later. But you know how in Dark Knight Rises when Batman's fighting Bane, and it kind of feels like okay, Batman's going toe to toe because he thinks he's got a chance. But we, the audience, kind of feel like, I don't think you do. I, that, we're not at the part of the story yet where you're going to win. This is the part of the yeah. story where the villain's going to kick your ass and you're going to have to sort of learn from your mistakes. That's what it feels like. It feels like Luke's fighting a fight he's not going to win. Um, mm-hmm. But the victory for the movie, for the satisfaction of the movie, is that he doesn't like give in to the dark side in any way. He, he's able to, you know, pull away from that. But like that, that that's you know like so you know they go through the window they fight in the, the big corridor all the sets look great uh you know the big map painting for the the giant like drop on the walkway it's all yeah, very good fantastic yeah and so. and you know frightening you know luke is like you said he's not ready he he's he's gonna step up to him because he feels confident but he's not he hasn't he's barely started his training and he he left to go save his friends, and he's he's just overly confident. He's not there yet, and now he's he's put in this incredibly vulnerable position, um, and he's on like a he's holding onto a railing with a missing hand, <laughs> and it's like what? How, how does he get out of this? You know, like he can't. Like he's he's not just backed into a corner. He's backed into a chasm. And I think what's so great about it is that his motivation is one that the audience can get behind because he's doing it for Han and Leia. He came here to help them, and for me especially but i think just for the audience in general like for the people who care about the characters even if it's the wrong choice technically because the wise people in the movie have said it's the wrong choice the fact that he's made this choice to save the other characters that we care and about who have gotten away yeah, yeah and we care about their bond we, we care about them you know being there for each other that, that that like really makes it satisfying for us the audience even if he is making technically the wrong choice so all all of that works really well um and you know obviously it ends in this downbeat thing where he's missing a hand he's getting his rope and that's obviously ties into because i think there's a line in the first movie where obi-wan says darth vader's like you know he's more mechanical than he is man now or whatever the line was but yeah. implying more machine that, than uh, man. yeah yeah and there's even a glimpse of what you, you know you see the back of his head at one point and he's like egg thing <laughs> darth mm-hmm. vader with his helmet off you see the back of his head so that they're teasing uh that a little bit which actually is also good foreshadowing for the ending it's basically saying hey we're going to learn more about this guy and sure enough at the end you do learn a huge big thing about him uh which actually i think part of the reason why people especially ones who were around at the time when these movies were coming out and seeing them in theaters i think part of the reason why this one is loved as much as it is 
is because they get more Darth Vader in this one than the last one. I think Darth Vader was such a popular character that because this movie gives you a lot more of him and gives him a goal by wanting to try and turn Luke and like seeing him work for someone else and seeing him like punish the people underneath him, you just get so much more of him compared to the first movie. I think for the audiences at the time in 1980, that was probably super exciting. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he right from the, the get-go of the first film, he's so intimidating and he's got this you know fantastic voice performance by james earl jones that he's really like remarkably well designed as like iconic movie villain and to have him so prominent in the second film like like okay this works so let's use it and make him so tied to luke now like that he's got a, a you know an actual biological co- uh, connection where it not only means that Luke may be more conflicted in the next film when he has to go head to head with him, but also like us as an audience, we don't, I mean, we suspect Luke's going to be the hero, but now there's this other wrench in there saying like, well, his dad was a hero and turned to the dark side and he's got, he's his son, you know, maybe he's a chip off the old block. Yeah, there's there's like a, another reason other than just the, the, the raw temptation of going to the dark side. Now there's like a, I could go be with my father. I could go and have that bond if I... Rule of the galaxy is poison. So I think it has a hopeful <laughs> ending because he's able to pull himself away from it. But there is that kind of darkness lingering over of like, okay, now there's like an extra layer to this conflict. Um, so the movie ends with Lando and the Falcon with Chewie going off to try and find where Han Solo has been taken. And, uh, you know, Luke's getting his arm or his hand uh, seen to. And, uh, yeah, it ends in a bit of a, a downbeat moment. It's, it's it's not this, like, big hurrah at the end. Yeah, no, Han's missing. They're, they're missing a valued cast member. You know, the trio is is now a duo. Uh, what are we going to do? I suspect that'll be the first thing they do in the third movie is deal with getting Han back. Yeah. That'd be my guess. I'll say that much. Uh, yeah, I mean, the movie's obviously great. Like, I, I think, you know, I have my reservations about certain elements of it. You know, I don't put it on the pedestal that a lot of people do. You know, people put it on this, like, super, you know, it's, it's this movie in Lord of the Rings that I feel like get this this pedestal that I just can't. Well, quite... Lord of the Rings is well deserved. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,. But that doesn't mean that I don't see a lot of the the greatness in here. And it is a really solid sequel that does advance things for the characters. It takes the chemistry of Han and Leia and advances that into the next stage of a relationship. It takes the conflict between Luke and, and Darth Vader and makes that more interesting. It really builds up to it to be this epic kind of like showdown by the time we actually get there. I, I, I don't really care about like the... the the training and Jedi stuff that much. That's maybe more of a personal taste thing, but it's not really enough to like pull it down that much. It's not like it's like super in the way. So, you know, um, yeah, expe- expect a, a perfectly uh, well thought out and reasoned rating out of 10, but I don't go <laughs> first. Tara goes first. Okay. Um, I sort of see Empire like I do Terminator 2 in that Hmm. 
I think it is, they're both examples of just incredible sequels when, you know, in, in genres that especially tend to fail at sequels. Um, but I, because I have so much reverence for the first one, I'm just going to knock it a little bit because I'm just establishing that maybe they are both tens, you know, both the first and the second one uh, for both franchises. But because I love the first one so much, I just want to rate it a little bit higher. But I do think this is a, a really, really excellent film, and I'll give it a, a 9.5. Um, I've kind of jumped around my rating for this over the years, d depending on like when I've watched it again in in my life. I've either been more into them, uh, maybe a bit more fatigued with Star Wars, so it's not landed as well as it otherwise would have done. Um, but you know, after enough viewings and enough sort of back and forth and and whatnot, like I feel like ultimately I'm happy to settle on just giving it a nine out of ten because it is ex you know, like the feel of the set pieces the way it advances the the conflict um is is great um it, it's it's when you know it kind of dips into like we're going to talk more about the jedi and stuff where isn't it's not too bad in this don't get me wrong but i can almost see kind of the the starting cracks of like something that maybe you know leads to what i hate largely about the, the prequels not the prequel i mean the prequels have a lot of problems like they they they, they, do, have, yeah. they have layers of problems, but uh, one of the things that I don't like about expanded Star Wars after the original trilogy is like the, I don't know, the obsession with the the lore of the Jedi Councils and, the, and all that <laughs> shit. Anywho, uh, you're yes. upset that it's not as revered as Star Trek, and I totally understand. Very good. I get it. I had to hide that I was a Trekkie. For so long, but everyone was just flaunting their Star Wars love, like it was no big deal. Like, I don't want to live in this world. Luckily, things have changed. It's okay to be a nerd now. Wait, did everyone betray you? <laughs> I've been up with this world. <laughs> Tara didn't even realize she quoted the room. <laughs> I know, and I just watched it in theaters for the twentieth anniversary. Can you believe it's been twenty years? That's insane. I thought it was 21. Was it 2003? I thought it was 2002. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's some, like, festival dates, you know, that can kind of mess with things. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hey, anywho, The yeah. billboard was definitely up in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. That's, uh, that's Empire. Oh, it was, it was not as painful as I thought it might be. Um... I'm glad. <laughs> I th I think I w I was reasonable with my 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 preferences and critiques, and it's okay to like the original trilogy and not like anything else. And I I, I don't think uh, we we had to fight about anything, which I thought we might. So that's good. I agree. Good job. You did well today. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that that wraps up uh, number two season. So we got a vote winner movie to do next week. We'll be looking at uh, Hollow Man, which won an Invisible Man vote. So Whoa. it's a Paul Verhoeven movie once again on the Dip Atomic Stone experiment. Dipping back into the well, the well of sleazy European awesomeness. 
So we'll be looking at that next week. And then we have a new season of sorts starting after that. There was a vote on Patreon a couple months ago uh, for what what a season would be. Um, and the winner was post-apocalyptic. So there'll be about five weeks in a row with post-apocalyptic movies uh, starting after Hollow Man. So look forward to that. Uh, so, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, of course, I mentioned Patreon there. You can support everything by going over to patreon.com slash TV, and every month you'll get a bonus episode of The Ace. Uh, you'll get uh, something that, you know, usually a B-movie or something. Sometimes we'll tie it into what we're doing on the show. For example, uh, we're just about to do... It's a little bit late because Tara was away and then had tech issues this past weekend. It's been so hot here that I think it was just screwing with things. Yeah. But we're we're about to do uh, Mimic Two to tie in with the, all the number twos, so there'll there'll be a, a a two on the bonus episode as well. Uh, obviously we did the original as a regular episode, but sometimes we'll do the crappy directed video sequels as uh as bonuses. Uh, and then at the five dollar tier and up, you get access to the Ace Meltdown every month, which is me and Tara just catching up with all the movies we've been watching, the video games we've been playing, and anything else we've been doing, so uh, you know, media pop culture wise. Uh, and we used to do quizzes at the start that were sci-fi related, uh, although we just started a new thing this past episode where we do uh, Mount Rushmore's of different sci-fi related things. Uh, Is that going to keep going? Yeah, we're going to be doing that for at least a few episodes, I think. Okay. I think it's, I think it's a fun, it's a fun set. at least take a discussion. So... Yeah, so if that all sounds like fun, there's also bonuses for other shows, of course, like Screams After Midnight and The Collector's Cut. Go and check it out. But that is uh, that. Is that. Uh, otherwise, you know, like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications, all the usual things on YouTube, rate the podcast on iTunes, share us with your science fiction and podcast-loving uh, friends. But that is the show. So thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer ad salsa. <laughs>